Well, hello and welcome once again to In the Growth Space, where we discover new ways to grow our business, our teams, and ourselves. I'm your host and growth coach, David McGlennon, and I'm really glad you're here again. In this episode, I have the honor of talking with author and productivity ninja, Grace Marshall. Grace is the author of the award-winning book, How to Really Be Productive, and is known for her refreshingly human approach to productivity. She's been featured in The Guardian, Forbes, and Huffington Post, and her work as a productivity ninja with global productivity training company Think Productive has helped thousands of people to replace stress, overwhelm, and frustration with success, sanity, and satisfaction. Now, I'm talking with her in this episode about her new book that just came out last week called Struggle, and the subtitle is The Surprising Truth, Beauty, and Opportunity Hidden in Life's Sh**ier Moments. Now, I absolutely love this topic, and it's one that I've really been thinking a lot about ever since I started reading the advanced copy of Grace's book. I've really been intrigued by it, and this is one of those conversations where I really wanted to go back and listen back in to the conversation that Grace and I had. It's really good. You're going to love this conversation with Grace Marshall, so let's get into it. Well, Grace, welcome to In the Growth Space. I'm really excited to have you here today and talk about your book and just really your experience, so welcome. Thank you so much for having me, David. Oh, yes. So, What led you to write a book on struggle? Because I think that one of the things that I've recognized as a a recovering achiever is that, (laughs) I mean, it's really why I created this podcast in that growth Mm -hmm. space. It's in that space, in that struggle where we really grow the most. And so I'm just kind of curious, what led you to write this book? Mm. So I work in the space of productivity. Yes, yes. (laughs) And I guess in my world of work, the words I'm struggling are often seen as the opposite of being productive. Uh, Um, But I don't think that tells the full picture of struggle or of productivity, because Mm. as you've said already, um, often it's in that space of struggle that we grow. But what we tend to do is we see struggle as the place where things go wrong, where maybe we've got it wrong. Maybe it's a sign that we're in the wrong place or there's something wrong with us. So we often see struggle as like a sign of failure or weakness um, or, you know, just something's gone wrong. But I started kind of recognizing there were places where people would say to me, I'm struggling, Grace. And I'd be listening and looking out for those places where I'd normally be able to help and be able to fix that struggle. Mm. And that doesn't always come. And so I started paying attention to those kind of conversations because they were conversations I didn't want to check out. But equally, there weren't conversations that I had a ready made answer for. So that kind of piqued my curiosity. And it became an idea that just refused to leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it just came from this space of asking, like, what if we've got it all wrong about getting it wrong? Yeah, you know, and, and that's so intriguing to me, because I think for so long, personally, I've had that idea that in order to achieve and to get our goals that we have to be perfect along the way. And of course, as long, you know, the longer I live, the more I recognize <laughs> that that's not true. Yeah. And and, and I know that we often talk about the butterfly, you know, being in that cocoon and, you know, mm. the struggle to get out. But I, I guess my question for you is why do we, why do we have that view of struggle as being bad or in your case, like not productive? Yeah, I think it's a lot to do with our instinctive reaction. 
So our instinctive reaction um, often comes from the, the limbic brain or the yeah. lizard brain, I call it. Yeah. So it's the part of your brain that's responsible for that fight or flight stress response. Yeah. And what its primary function is, is to keep you safe. Yeah. And so whenever anything changes or anything looks uncertain, ambiguous, you know, out of control, like we don't know, then it's going to kick in and start to go, whoa, okay, that's potentially dangerous there. Yeah. And it's that space of fear. So fear says, danger, keep out. Mm-hmm. Whereas actually, maybe we've been reading all the signs wrong. So one of the things I write in the book is, you know, if danger says, uh, if fear says danger, keep out. Maybe courage is saying, no, this is sacred ground, enter. Oh, this is the space wow. where we can grow. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that is so good. You know, and I think so oftentimes we don't enter into struggle willingly and, <laughs> and, and like, and thinking of it as sacred ground, mm-hmm. right? I mean, at least I know I haven't, let me just rephrase that. I know yeah. I haven't, but it is. And it has been in those times when I've been thrust into that struggle where I don't like it, but in retrospect, looking back on it, I see that it's been the best thing for me. Just even thinking about my moving to Pittsburgh. Look, I spent 40 years of my life in the same location. And then I got thrust into a situation when my dad passed away and I was a partner with him. And, mm-hmm. and we, we really needed to look for a job. And the, it took me to Pittsburgh's out of my comfort zone, had no idea anybody here except for the company that I was coming to work for. And But as I look back, and actually my wife and I will often talk about how good that was for us to be able to struggle and to be able mm-hmm. to get outside of our comfort zone. And, and I guess I, I'm, I'm curious, going back to your comment about um, it be, the struggle being sacred ground. How can we just better look at struggle in that light and better look at it in a way that really helps us maybe even enter into it a little bit more purposefully or intentionally? Yeah. So I think there's two ways of doing that. The the first is with hindsight. So we can, yeah, with hindsight, we can tell, ah, yeah, that place of struggle didn't feel like it at the time, but actually there's a gift that came from that, or there was an opportunity that came from that. And, and we have like in our history, we've got all sorts of stories of either happy accidents or um, stories of overcoming adversity. That you know, even stories like I've got, I've got post-it notes here on my desk. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah the post-it note cake was invented by accident. It was invented when yeah. um, they were trying to develop a super strong adhesive for the aircraft industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet what they got was a super weak adhesive. <laughs> and then they found use for it in the stationary um, you know, industry instead. So often if we think about it, maybe from a perspective of an inventor or a scientist, we know that actually when something unexpected happens, that's when something interesting is happening. So you're mm. kind of expecting it. Whereas Often in our own lives, we don't think of it that way. So oh, when yeah. a curveball lands, you know, or you open yeah. that, that email, you're like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. Right. Yeah, we see it as like an interruption to our work. Yeah. Don't we? Yeah, yeah. And so seeing those curveballs, uh, instead of as an interruption, as maybe piquing our curiosity is maybe more appropriate, huh? Yeah, definitely. And so when we kind of know that with hindsight, we can then start to... I guess, find ways of finding our place back into curiosity. Mm. So in the moment, um, there's there's actually kind of three stages I talk about in the book, and I call it the three shits. 
Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I know. And so like the first is like, oh shit. So it's just recognizing the struggle. The yeah. second is what is the shit, which is the reckoning. And that's where we can start to get curious because I think you know our instinct that I talked about, that fight or flight, that comes from fear. Yeah. Um, and fear will give us a narrow vision because yeah. in the moment when it's just about survival, all we need to look for is either the weak spot in our opponent mm. or the escape route. Whereas, you know, when we start to activate curiosity in the face of fear, then we, it's actually the antidote to fear. We start to kind of widen our vision mm. and then we start to be able to see like, what else could this be? So yes, this is unexpected, but what does that mean? What am I making it to mean? But also what else could it mean? I love that asking those questions in that moment of fear. And I think that that for me has been one area that I've learned to do better at, and I'm still learning to, but to ask those questions when something unexpected happens, asking that question, like, what else does this make possible? Mm. Or what does this open up for me? Or what else could be going on here? I think that sometimes those questions are super helpful to be able to, like you said, overcome or the antidote to fear. How did you discover that? Because I think that, (laughs) you know, our most normal reaction is to, like you said, it's like, okay, I don't like this. I'm out. Or, you know, okay, I don't like this but I'm going for the jugular vein. Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think I think it came from being stuck in struggle. Um, yeah. I came from, you know, times where I was in a place that I couldn't get out of or couldn't, you know, struggle my way through, like couldn't fight my way through. And so I, it was a space that I had to stay in for a while. Um, yeah. And I suppose being, you know, being a coach myself and also having been through coaching, those are really good spaces for asking questions or being asked those kinds of questions. And just noticing the the power of those questions to shift mindset and to shift even our emotions from a place of panic or um, frustration to a place of possibility. And yeah. like you notice the difference, don't you? You can feel yeah. the difference. As soon as someone asks you that question, you're like, oh. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, it's interesting. I think that even as I'm thinking about what you're saying is that you talked about coaching. And I think that that was probably the initial like eye-opening experience for me when I first experienced coaching was being asked a question and then being allowed to just sit in that space. Mm. And wow, it was uncomfortable. And like many people, I wanted to fill it with words and fill it with, you know, all kinds of thoughts. But then I just being even in that space of quiet sometimes was, was uncomfortable but it did get me curious. And then mm-hmm. it's almost like the more I went there, the more I wanted to be there. And I'm wondering if that's the case too with struggle. If it's like, if we weren't recognized that we're in struggle and then we recognize that feeling, I mean, do we, have you found that we want to be there or we want to be able to like, look at what we're learning in that space? I think what we can do is kind of, it lightens the load slightly. Yeah. So, you know, in some cases we can almost, take off the load completely. Let me give you an example. Like there are times in my business where something goes wrong. Like say, for example, somebody books an inquiry call Mm -hmm. and rather than it being a really helpful and useful interaction that like leads somewhere, it's, it feels like a tire kicker. Uh, It feels like the, it feels like I'm being put through the mill. I'm going, what's, what the heck is going on here? And so initially there's all these feelings of, I guess, frustration, a little bit of rage, a little bit of anger there. You know, a little bit of irritation, but by being able to sit in it and go, okay, I don't like how this feels, 
But if I react to it, I'm just going to feed it. Mm, right? Yeah, right. So instead of feeding it, how do I hold it and feel it? So mm. I recognize it. Because if we don't feel it, if we, if we shove it under the carpet, it's going to come back and bite us. Yeah. Right. So it's kind of how do I feel it without feeding it? But then there's there's something in me, I don't know what it is. I always want to, I'm irritatingly resourceful, I think. <laughs> I, I always want to make something like useful. Yeah. So then I'm starting to think, okay, so this feels shit, but how yeah. can I use it? Right. Um, and then, yeah, so in, in that particular situation, it's like, well, actually, if what if this is all good information about mm. maybe where my boundaries are? about maybe the kind of conversation that I'm inviting somebody in when they book an inquiry call. Yeah. Um, so that led me to kind of rethink some of those processes and get much clearer about what I offer, who I offer it to, mm -hmm. and that kind of whole customer journey. Um, and so that became something useful, that, that became something, it was almost like redeeming a, a really shitty situation yeah. and repurposing it for something that's, that's useful. Yeah, I really like that, that repurposing it. And because... There's a lot of times when we are in those moments when it just, it's really crappy. And yet we have to be able to look at it and find ways. It's almost like recycling our own situations, right? Mm. And it's like recycling the moments that we have and, and finding how we can use them in a different way. That's a really interesting idea. I like that. And it's it's like compost then, isn't it? Because that, yeah. that's literally shit that's used for growth. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's it's in the decomposing that there's new life that begins. Mm. Matter of fact, I think in your book, you even talk about that. You, I think you talk about as you cut open a uh, chrysalis, you know, all you're seeing is, you know, decaying, you know, animal or decaying insect. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's a rotting caterpillar. That's what you yeah. see. So like yeah. when we think of the butterfly, we think of the beauty and the transformation, but we right. forget that the process of transformation looks a lot like decay. Yeah, boy, that's, there's really something <laughs> to that, isn't there? And I think that, well, so go back for a second and talk about like, how do you take, take that idea of that decay and that almost like that death, it's almost like a death and then a re, you know, re-emergence. How do we equate that then to productivity? How do we like look mm -hmm. at those things in, because I know that so, so oftentimes we want to be able to look at productivity, for example, to be able to say, well, Hey, I know I need to go from here at, to here. And yet there is no straight line. And then that decay process then is, is really kind of ugly and, and squiggly and, and that path. This is, so I'm, I'm just kind of curious, maybe like, how do you, how do you put the two together? Yeah, it's, it, it's a really interesting tension because um, when we're used to being productive, when we're used to being high achieving, yeah. we equate a productive day, a successful day with certain uh, anchors. Mm. So, you know, it's when I'm able to tick things off, when I'm able to get that sense of completion, I get feedback, I get reward. Yeah. Um, so I can see that straight line between my efforts and the outcome that I get yeah. from it. Whereas when we're looking at transformation, evolution, maybe, you know, that kind of sense of like the sense of growth that comes from from a big leap mm -hmm. rather than from incremental changes it doesn't look like that at all. Right. So like, how do we marry that up? And, and that's the reason why a lot of people may know like, okay, this is what I need to do. This is what I need to pursue for that transformation, yeah. but I don't have time to do it. 
Right. Um, do you hear that? Do you hear that yeah. a lot in your work? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't have time for that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I don't have time for that because I'm running a successful business over here. I've got you know inquiries coming in. I've got clients to look after. I've got things I need to deliver and get out the door. So that keeps me busy enough and that looks and feels productive. So every time yeah. I'm able to do that, I get a dopamine hit in my brain that goes, this feels good. Do more of it. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas the, the transformation work might look like sitting with something really uncomfortable. It might look like unpicking things. It might look like saying no to things that look successful. You know, or it might look like staring at a screen, wrangling with words if you're trying to write a book. Um, <laughs> you know, and all those Lovely. things don't feel productive in the moment. Yeah. But actually... They don't look productive, but they're the things that will take you on the bigger leaps of transformation. Yeah. And so it's almost like reprogramming yourself or, or kind of telling yourself, you know, to stop looking for the old signs, you know, and go, yeah. right, okay, maybe success doesn't look like I've produced 5,000 words. Maybe success is just showing up and being yeah. in that space and trusting that process. Wow. I think that's really something there because it's just a matter of, because I think that we've been taught that. And, and it's, I, I think it's, it's not, I think it's incorrect that we've been taught that we have to do X, Y, and Z or X, Y, and Z. <laughs> and if we don't do those things, then we're not productive. Mm -hmm. But even, even as you were speaking and sharing, I think that one of the things that I've had to come to a realization of in, in my own growth journey is that sitting with certain things and allowing them, it's almost like creating a, a really good stew where, you know, it's not necessarily great when you put all of the things in it to begin with, mm -hmm. but when you let things like cook and marinate and just yeah. allow to simmer, that's when it the flavor starts to come out. And, and even just to share a moment with you, Grace, one of the things that I have worked on in recent months really is just my own languaging of what I do in the work with my emerging leaders. And it's funny, you know, because one of the days that I had scheduled to work on this, I literally had on my walls behind me here, I had my white post-it notes, you know, just plain and, and started writing out some of the languaging. And literally, I found myself just staring at it at times. And but I, I also recognized, I guess, that that was that stew just kind of stewing. And I still haven't gotten an answer to like, oh, this is the final way mm. I'm going to describe how I work with emerging leaders or or what the end result is. But every time that I'm sitting here thinking about it and I actually still have the white post-it notes, it just continues to simmer. And so I think the 20 year old me would have thought I'm just wasting my time. I need to get <laughs> on with things. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if you've experienced that or not, but just, I think that as you talked about that, that process, that's where at least where I've, I've found it being really helpful and the achiever in me still hates it, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm willing to stay there. I'm willing mm. to stay there because I think that being able to think and rethink is a productive thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's always like, it's just a different mode. It's like a different um, rhythm, a different resonance. So it's almost yeah. like we've been so used to being in, in fifth gear all the time, that just yeah. sometimes we need to drop into first gear or you know, just drop into a different rhythm. And when we're so used to running at a particular pace, it is yeah. going to feel uncomfortable. And I think it's recognizing that uncomfortable doesn't mean it's wrong. 
Yeah, yeah, interesting. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that concept of kind of getting into a different gear, because I think that so often in, I don't, I don't know how it is, you know, in the UK, but in America, we've been sold this, hey, we've got to go full speed. We've got to be mm. in fifth gear the whole time. But yet I know, and I, and, and it's, it's some of the things that I teach. And I, I also, you know, teach it to myself as I'm, as I'm teaching yes. it, <laughs> that I do need to slow down and I need to downshift sometimes because slowing down does help us to be able to then be more efficient and maybe speed up later. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to like, like hear, how do you teach, let's say business leaders, how do you teach business leaders or how do you coach business leaders to really recognize that it's valuable to downshift and to be in that space where it really is a slower pace? Yeah. So I, I tend to talk about it in terms of rhythm rather than balance. Yes. I because love that. to me, balance always feels like it's an accounting act. So like you yeah. add something here, you've got to balance it out over here. So you're always looking at like the opposite side of the, the table. Whereas um, rhythm means that there's, there's space for variety. Yeah. Um, so if you think of like a really good piece of music, mm-hmm. you know, there will be a variety of rhythm to it. It yeah. won't just be all like super fast or super slow. And, and it's the variety that brings the richness to it. You, and, and it's the same with interior design. It's the same with... Yeah, even good writing there's kind of long sentences and short sentences that there's a variety there so I guess it's almost coming away from the feeling of like you say that straight line fallacy you know of going oh like you know success just looks like keep doing more and going faster so then I guess maybe yeah never actually thought about it like this but maybe it's not so much the science behind Mm. it but the art of it Mm, interesting yeah 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 because yeah. I think often when we think science we think it's like a linear relationship right like the curves add the beauty don't they so yeah. yeah yeah so that kind of variety that sort of richness and then recognizing so it's it's also then not about like oh I've run out of fuel so I need to stop and refill mm-hmm. you know and I have to wait because it takes some time to right. refill and this is really <laughs> annoying because I want to be going fast Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, maybe it's like, hey, I'm going through a really scenic area here. Yeah. It'd be nice to like slow down a bit and just open the, the windows and take in the scenery, yeah. like smell the sea breeze as we go past. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then there are other times when I will want to speed up and go through it quicker. Right. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's a shift in experience, not a lessening of experience. Yeah, I, for some of the young leaders who are listening, I just want to say that this is a lesson that has taken me a long time to learn. <laughs> and I think I'm still learning it because I can still remember the, the younger me wanted to get to from point A to point B, like literally when, when my family and I were going on a journey, I wanted to get there the fastest way because I thought that time in between leaving and arriving was like just wasted time. <laughs> But I'm finding now that there's really that joy in the journey. And I think that that's the part for for high achievers, for growth-oriented people, that we have to start to recognize that the journey is really where the magic happens. Mm. And it's really in that space where we need to 
roll down the windows and take in the scenery. And, and then there are some times when, yeah, okay, well, maybe we need to speed up a little bit. But okay. I think in, in business too often, we think of point A to point B, quarter one, quarter two, you know, mm-hmm. quarter three, annual, you know, this year over that year. And it's really about like, who are we serving and what are we helping to accomplish? What's our mission? Anyway, I, I just that I think that's really that's that's a, it's a really interesting thing to to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there are ahead. some very solid business outcomes to that as well. So if you think of innovation, yeah, you know, innovation doesn't tend to come from efficiency. Efficiency is just about doing the same things but faster, yeah. whereas innovation is doing a new thing. Yes, and and so you know, to have space to think of it, you know, and innovation often comes from that periphery thinking. Mm-hmm. So it's not about oh, this is how we do it. It's like oh, what if we can't do it that way? How else could we do it? Yeah. Um, and sometimes it comes from, you. Know, it's an idea that comes completely from left field. It's like, oh, how does that thing over there relate to this over here? Um, and there's a really interesting study that I read about in the book Originals by oh, Adam yeah. Grant. Yes, um, yes, and yes, he yes. looked at like Nobel, Nobel Prize winning scientists mm-hmm. um, and the correlation between the ones who would win the most Nobel Prizes and um, the ones that had artistic pursuits. So yeah, you know, yeah. if you played an instrument, you were like twice as likely as the rest of your peers. If you did something like you know improvisation or yes. like you know that kind of thing you would I can't remember how many times more likely but it, it was there was a correlation there those scientists who also had a artistic pursuit that somehow that got their brain thinking differently mm-hmm. that perhaps it was those kind of tangential um you know, ideas that went oh this is something I noticed in jazz that could relate to this thing over here in my business yes yes it's so interesting that you bring that up because I'm reading the newest Adam Grant book called Think Again. Oh, yes. Yeah. Are you familiar yeah, with it? Yeah. It is really, really good. So it's it's high on my recommendation list for, for books. It's really helping me to think about thinking differently. Mm. And and I thought it's it's interesting you brought up that point about people who have an artistic pursuit to be able to see connections and the correlations. And I think that really that is a lot of where I think we can get more of our growth is to be able to pursue things outside of maybe our main business pursuit or our main mission. I don't know if you found that or not. Well, and talk, maybe talk about like writing. So, I mean, had you ever written before? So um, I was growing up, I was the kid who had very thick glasses, (laughs) you Mm. who would be very quiet You'd find me either at the edge of the playground with a bit uh, with a book yeah. or in the middle of the library. Um, so I've always loved books. I've always loved writing. And so writing a book was high on my bucket list from since I was a, a kid. Um, okay. But yeah, I so I, I wrote my first book in 2012, okay. which was 21 Ways to Manage the Stuff That Sucks Up Your Time. And then my second book was How to Be Really Productive. Okay. And that was in 2015. And then this book, I guess, really felt like a an opportunity to dive deeper into the craft mm. of writing. Yeah, sure. sure. Um, because it was a new topic. It was one I was exploring rather than one that I had all worked out. Oh, interesting. Um, and also it was, I just really got a sense that I wanted to write a book that had a particular feeling about it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't just um, an academic tome. It wasn't just like a comprehensive thing, um, but actually one that would make people feel lighter, um, more hopeful. Yeah. Um, so, for example, I didn't want a really heavy book on struggle. Sure, sure. Yeah. Because <laughs> right. nobody's going to read that. It's just right. going to sit yeah. there. Like, Who and, wants and to go there, to... right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, one of my inspirations I looked to was um, Stephen Pressfield. Yeah, yeah. Um, who, you know, and, and it was his turning pro book that I've got. Um, and that's written in very short kind of little sections that take you from one place to another. And sometimes it would go into a personal um, anecdote. Sometimes it would go into writing. Sometimes it would go into something else. But there yeah. would be a kind of a theme that takes you all the way through. Yeah. Um, and that's mm. the kind of, you know, that's the style that I wanted to write my book in uh-huh. was one that was sort of almost like poetry that kind of takes you on a journey, right. but then gives you something to think about. Yeah. 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 Well, and I think you did that, you know, really well, because I know you, you, like you had some stories, you had some, some, some like interjections of some, what I would, you know, like kind of like poetry, you know? Mm. I, so I, yeah, I, I love that. I guess as you were talking, I, I'm curious to know, like, what was your biggest struggle in writing struggle? Well, <laughs> you know, I, I, I was just kind of curious. Yeah. So, so my biggest struggle was the classic imposter syndrome of Uh, who am I to write about this? Like, uh, what do I know? So for example, I don't have a big story of overcoming struggle. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have the, and and there are people with those stories. There are people who with stories of how they lost everything and they had to rebuild or stories of how they had one dream and then maybe an accident changed everything Mm. and they had to, you know, had to kind of re find their identity and things like that. Um, and those are really inspiring stories, but those are not my stories. Sure, sure. And so there was a big part of me that always went through, like, who am I to write a book about struggle? Mm. And at the end of the day, I could only go with, well, I can only write what I know. Mm. And what I know is these, like, everyday moments of struggle. Yeah, so I'll right. write a book about that. And maybe that yeah. will be useful. Yeah. <laughs> and, right. yeah, well, I think it is because I think, you know, maybe more people can relate to it rather than the sort of dramatic stories where they're inspiring, but maybe not as relatable. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think it's in those everyday moments, it's in those everyday struggles that we all live in. It's just those everyday things. And it's not the rags to riches or the, you know, oh gosh, you know, I I had this major thing happen all the time. I mean, I know Mm -hmm. that we all have these little things that we work through and I think that that's what makes it so relatable. You know, I think that that's uh, what I like about the book and what I like about really understanding struggle. Yeah. So I, so you talked about a little bit in the book about the struggle of being kind of, and I think you even said it, like the weird kid, right? I mean, like, I think that, I think that that's really interesting because so often there's a lot of us who think, you know, hey, we're weird, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we don't fit in. And that's a struggle. And so yeah. I'm, I'm, and I know there's a lot of business people and business leaders and emerging leaders that feel that way that like, I, maybe I don't fit in or I don't fit the mold of an executive or I don't fit the mold of a manager or a leader. How, how mm. was that for you? What was that struggle like? Gosh, yeah. So, I mean, I spent most of my childhood trying to fit in Yeah. Um, yeah and, sure. and I just didn't. So I'd say I learned a lot of coping strategies in the middle of that and one of those coping strategies was was what turned me into a straight a student 
Mm. So it was like, okay, I have no friends, but do you know what? I can figure out what the teachers want from me and I can do that one really, really well. Yeah, sure. And so when that translated into the working world, I went into into my first job kind of really um, straight out of university um, you know, had a good degree and and kind of really, actually, that was one of my points of struggle was in my first job because I was just trying to mind read, ah, you know, and, and, and I kept getting pulled up on like, we want you to take more initiative, Grace. I'm like, okay, so that means I've got to guess what you want from me <laughs> instead of you telling me what you want from me. Right. And it was actually with hindsight, I look back at that time and I think I am so glad that I didn't fit in there. Mm. to the point where I left um, and had to rethink my whole career because if I had fitted in just a little bit Mm -hmm. you know it would have felt uncomfortable for me and it would have been an ongoing struggle but you know I I would have probably stayed because it you know it's like well they wanted me and they offered me the job but because there was such a friction there um, it, it was again it's like a crisis where you've got that decisive point where so, it's make or break something's going to happen yeah and you know and, and that's that's when I had my identity crisis I had my midlife crisis in my mid-20s <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's when I started going back to rather than how do I what do I need to do to achieve success out there it was what does success look like for me mm, mm. where are the spaces where I instinctively have my own opinion and want to take initiative yeah where are the places where you're where I'm curious mm-hmm. where I'm passionate and and yeah I was working it was really interesting because I was working in a marketing job which was very numbers heavy it was very much based on conversion rates and figures and stuff like that yeah. um, and what I realized was it's not numbers that excite me it's people yeah yeah and you know and and funnily enough I did a business degree and to my memory, not a single person in like in my degree, not a single kind of professor, anything, anybody kind of put me, took me to one side and said, Grace, have you considered learning development? <laughs> you know, have you considered HR, you know, the kind of people side of the business? Because mm-hmm. like, and, and it was funny because with hindsight, one of the best um, pieces of work I did was for um, the organizational behavior module where actually I wrote, I wrote a piece about group behavior and group, um, group uh, dynamics with Watership Down, the oh, novel. Yeah, interesting, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there was definitely something there that nobody spotted. Right, right. And it wasn't until I was at a place where it was so clear that I didn't fit in, that I couldn't stay there, uh-huh. that actually it gave me the, that opportunity to rethink and you know, ironically, I then had to set up my own business. So after a bit of soul searching and, and what have you, started a family and then started looking into coaching. Yeah. And this was at a time where you, you couldn't apply for a job as a coach. So you had to start your own business. Sure. And then, then ironically, I have to do marketing every day. <laughs> of course. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Isn't but, that something? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But now marketing for me is about how do I relate to people? Mm, yeah. Not about the numbers. Um, you, and, and you can do marketing based on numbers, but that's just not, that's not me. Right. So I think what I've discovered is you, when we don't fit in, we think the answer to that is to try and blend in. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and there's a great quote, isn't there, about like, why fit in when you were born to stand out? Yes. Right, yeah. Right. And it's the, you know, it's just, again, it's flipping it around and go, okay, what if this thing I think of as a weakness is actually a strength? Yeah. What opportunity does this give me? 
you know, I, I remember working once with um, an accountant who was like, but I'm not like other accountants. You know, mm. I'm really chatty. I'm really personal. And, you know, <laughs> I talk a lot and most accountants don't. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, what would it look like if you completely embrace that? Mm-hmm. And it turned out, you know, she would do like little videos and Instagram lives and things like that. And, and be, you know, and people would relate to her and they go, oh, this person gets me. She can definitely handle my figures. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. uh, so it's, it's like the thing that... And again, I think this comes back to that fear instinct because fear says don't stand out. Right, right. right? Yeah, exactly. You know, kind of stay safe, stick to what you know, blend in with the rest of the tribe. Don't do anything mm-hmm. that might get you singled out because that might invite danger. Right. Whereas in, in business, in life, in growth, you know, I think it's, it's actually the other way around. It's finding those things that bring you to life, that make you stand out those things actually can give you whether that's a competitive advantage or that's a creative advantage Mm. or just allow you to enjoy the process more Mm. um yeah i think there's there's a lot in there yeah i think there really is grace it's so so interesting because i think that even just the comparison of a competitive advantage versus a creative advantage and and i think that so often we think that competition is the race to win as opposed to something that I've learned is that competition, the actual Latin root means to travel together. And so it's going together. And so being able to go together on that journey and then having that advantage be, you know, creativity, I think is really something that a lot of people maybe miss out on because of that fear. I just mm-hmm. think it's, it's, it's really interesting how you, you kind of wove that all together and, and that thought. Gosh, I, I love this. I, I could actually talk a long time because I think there's a lot to like dig in here. Yeah. I would love for you to tell people um, who are listening today, how do they, first of all, how do they get a hold of the book? And then um, secondly, how do they get a hold of you? And, and what are some of the things that you help other, other leaders do? And, and talk a little bit about you know, who you help and uh, your work. Sure. Yeah. So um, the book is at strugglethebook.com. Okay. Um, so you can find it there and um, you can find out more about me at gracemarshall.com. And in terms of the work that I do, there are, there are two sides to it. One is the one-to-one coaching. Mm-hmm. So that's where I work with, um, yeah, mainly leaders in different spaces, but often it's leaders who are on that kind of work-life transformation journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they're wanting to do things differently. They're wanting to work in a different way. So we look at a whole range of, you know, right the way from productivity and like, what does your inbox look like right now? Um, yeah, sure. you know, right the way to like, what's your work-life rhythm? Yeah. And, you know, where are the areas that you're, you're staying in that's comfortable and what's that, you know, where are you procrastinating from? But also where are the areas that you want to stretch into? Yeah. Um, so we do a lot of that kind of work. Um, but then a lot of the other work I do, uh, the Productivity Ninja work that I do is uh, with organizations, with companies, all sorts of different sizes. Um, Typically, I'll either go in and do a a keynote Mm -hmm. um, for like a staff conference or something like that and get the conversation started about productivity. Um, Or it will be kind of team workshops. Okay. Yeah. So kind of facilitating workshops around how do you manage and then really practical ones. So like how do you manage your your workload and everything you need to get done in work and in life? Yeah. Um, to fixing meetings, making mm-hmm. them rare and ridiculously productive again, um, to getting your inbox to zero, which does exactly what it says on the tin. 
I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine getting my inbox to zero. Yeah. <laughs> it's a three-hour workshop. And then in that time, we tell people how, we show you how, but we also actually get inboxes to zero. So people come out of it going, oh, I've wow. done it. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Well, and I know that's a big struggle. I mean, that is mm. a big struggle. Speaking of struggle, that's a big struggle for a lot of <laughs> leaders is to how to manage that inbox. And mm. so, gosh, I think there's uh, something in me. It has to go back to something you said just a moment ago, though. You know, you used a phrase, work-life rhythm. Mm. And I'm curious to see, like, how did you come up with that because as I think of so often, I think we buy into this balance and I know I'm kind of kind of going off script here, just not, not that we have a script, but I'm kind of going outside the bounds of where we were headed. But I, I just feel like there was something there that I think a lot of leaders need to hear about rhythm and that rhythm of life. And I think that even that in itself is, it could be helpful. So I'm just kind of curious, where did you, where'd you come up with that phrase or that concept? So I think it came from a frustration with the word balance. First yeah. of all, it was like that yeah. doesn't feel like it. You know, it feels it feels guilt inducing. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure where exactly the word rhythm came from, but for me, it kind of it encompassed a sense of flow and movement yeah. rather than a static thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it gave flexibility and freedom. Yeah. So your rhythm doesn't have to look the same as my rhythm. So there's a choice in there. There's a sense of freedom and flexibility, which a lot of people go into business. Like if you set up your own business, that's what you want. Right. Right. Um, right. But you and and yet we don't feel like we have it. Um, And so and and that to me was important, that sense of flexibility and freedom. Um, But I think there's also something in there. And I write about this in the book struggle, actually, about seasons and cycles. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because like everything that has life has a sense of seasons and cycles. But what we tend to do and what technology has enabled us to do is to kind of almost run all the way over it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like night and day, we can now turn the light bulb on and keep working. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we can, we can work across the year 24 hours now. So businesses can be open 24 right. hours. Technology enables us to do that. But people, right. human beings are not designed for that. Right. Um, you know, if you look at like, even just like the, the seasons of like, we were just talking about how like the right. crazy April weather before right. we started recording. Right. right yeah. Um, you know, and, and if you think about that, there is a definite change in seasons through summer, mm-hmm. winter, you know, spring and autumn. And, and yet we expect our work, our productivity to just be flat and level. Yeah. yeah. And if you think about anything in life, a flat line is not a good sign. Mm-hmm. Right. right right it's true yeah yeah <laughs> so Good. you know what if we started thinking about okay that kind of almost like a wobbly line which actually I write about in the second book how to be really productive yeah. you know that sense of like you've got your peaks and your troughs you've got your you, your super productive times and you've got your zombie moments right yeah you've got your at work and you've got your downtime mm-hmm. and that actually it's that kind of wobbly line that gives you the rhythm that yeah. gives you that sense of flow and momentum rather than I'm just going to keep going, keep going, keep going. And then all of a sudden I hit a wall and I crash. Crash. Yeah. You burn out or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that because I think that's one of the things that I love about having a podcast and having it kind of in this forum is that I can kind of go with whatever, you know, my intuition lead where where it leads me. And I I just there was something I knew that we needed to unpack there. And I I almost feel like there's some leader who's listening to this right now who really needed to hear that. So I appreciate that. So b- before we go, because I know I want to be really respectful of your time, 
tell everybody again where we can get the book struggle because I want to make sure that everybody uh, goes out and, and checks this book out because it, it's really good. I, I had a chance to get an advanced uh, copy of it and there's so much good into it. So share again and we'll make sure that it's in the, the show notes as well. Thank you. And so it's strugglethebook.com. And um, that's where you'll be able to find out all about the book. There's a few different links that you can click on to, to buy. Um, I'd love to hear from you as well, though. So you know, tell me what you think, leave a review. So April 29th, I'm actually hosting a thing called the Struggle Conversation. Oh, cool. So anybody okay. who buys the book before then, um, yeah. so if you go to, so all the details are on, on that page on strugglethebook.com. So anybody who okay. buys before then will be able to join in the conversation. Yeah. Um, but like if it's afterwards, then just you know, drop me a line. So gracemarshall.com is my main website. Okay. Get in touch. Love to hear from you. Are you active on any other social media? Give, give those yeah. handles as well. Sure. So I am at Grace Marshall on Twitter. Okay. Um, at Grace Marshall Ninja on Instagram. Okay. Nice. <laughs> and then um, you'll be able to find me, Grace Marshall, on, on LinkedIn on and LinkedIn. on Facebook as well. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. I love this conversation, Grace. And it's really actually helped me to even think into my own growth and my own growth around struggles. So I thank you. Thanks for writing this. I think this is an important work. And I, I know this is an important conversation for a lot of leaders, uh, myself included. And so part of this podcast is a bit selfish because I get to learn from people like you. So I, I love it. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your journey. And, and thank you for, for sharing your work as well. Well, thank you for the conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Well, there is so much gold in this conversation, and I hope you struggle with being in the struggle like I've been. You know, one thing that Grace said that really stood out to me is this quote, and she said, what if we've got it all wrong about getting it all wrong? And, and she also said, courage to enter into the struggle is saying that this is sacred ground. Let's enter. It's really like she's <laughs> tapped into the growth space. And now you can see why I really wanted to have her on the show. So I want to encourage you to go out and get her book and be sure to grab your highlighter and post-it notes because you're going to need it. Thanks so much for listening in again. And be sure to share this podcast episode with a friend. And while you're at it, give us a review and a five-star rating. It helps us to spread the message of growth to more people. So until next time, remain in the growth space and be well.